On the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast, where we are live on the Rec Yard every Wednesday night. Tunchi! <laughs> What's going on? We were having technical difficulties right up until five seconds ago. That's correct. That's correct. True to form. <laughs> <laughs> It's just part of the process now, Marcy. It's part of the thing. It is. It's part of the show, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) It is Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We are live on the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast. I'm Marcy Marie. I'm Tunchi. And we are talking about some a pretty heavy topic tonight. Uh, We're talking about the use of solitary confinement or restrictive housing or special housing unit or whatever fancy terminology the prison systems want to put on it. We're talking about being locked in a cell by yourself for at least 23 hours a day. Yeah, um, they call it different things, but it's the same beast, whether it's in county jail or TDCJ prisons, uh, you know, it's the same thing. It's tough. It is. It's it's an ugly topic. You guys start thinking about your questions relating to that topic. We see you guys in the comments already, and it's such a pleasure to see you guys. Y'all are our family, and you make our whole week, so thank you so much for joining us and hanging in. We uh, appreciate you. <laughs> Audra's definitely noticing we're on the wrong side. And I we know. Are I'm so- trying to adjust right now. I'm like, I feel real awkward because you're normally strange. on the left. Yeah. Yeah. My left. Well, we switched it up because of the technical difficulties, <laughs> not because we're trying something new, but I'm recording from home tonight. You guys know I'm in the sticks and normally I'm traveling, but guys, we've been, we've been sick this week. And speaking of this week, <laughs> hey, Tucci, let's do a weekly recap. I tried to be smooth with that. <laughs> I, I have no smoothness this week. It's, 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 it's all gone. right. We, well, I mean, we, considering it. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, tell we've everybody. Been sick. We've been, I, y'all, I thought that I poisoned my whole family. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> basically my whole family was over on Sunday and we had a beautiful time, a beautiful meal and beautiful company. And by Monday night, uh, which I'm so confused on my days, I was shocked today was Wednesday. That's how <laughs> sick we've been. Um, it Everybody was having food poisoning like symptoms, not everybody, but like 80% of us. <laughs> it was bad y'all. Uh, my, my girlfriend is a horrible patient and <laughs> he's still feeling very bad. Um, my, I mean, my dad, my daughter, y'all, my, my freshman high school daughter, I got to meet her friends for the very first time. She brought them for the weekend and Monday night, they were all three in urgent care because they were so sick. Um, But I think that they determined that it was a stomach bug and not food poisoning. And as it turns out, our little baby nephew 
had been sick this week with a stomach bug and we didn't know it. <laughs> and so I, I think we just all loved him up really well and he spread the germs around. So that was a rough, it was rough. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the pain for you. I, everybody's tired of me telling the story, but I got sick like that when I was living in East Texas, right before I'm right when COVID started. So I don't, I can't even be sure it's not related, but that has literally been the sickest I've ever been in my life. And I thought I was going to die. Like it was so bad. So much love to y'all. And I'm glad you're feeling better. I am better. better. You seem a little disoriented. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I feel disoriented. I had a, a big um, board meeting for the Second Chancer Foundation, a really important one where we were making some important decisions yesterday morning. And I, I took the meeting from my bathroom floor. Um, that's how bad it was. And, and finally, I was just like, can we vote? Can you just send me a recap? And can we do the voting virtually like because I can't even understand what's being said right now it was really embarrassing I, I was able to cancel all my other appointments yesterday and this afternoon trying to get back in the swing of things but yeah but, <laughs> what else has happened this week we had some good things yeah yeah we had our um, peace walk with Linus and Texas Effort violence project Uh, We had that in Gatesville. For y'all that don't know, Gatesville is the prison town where the majority of women's units are in Texas. And there's also the Hughes units, which is a men's unit. And yeah, we just, we met with some people in the community. Uh, We talked for a while uh, in front of the courthouse. And then we walked down to the park and had a really nice healing circle, you know, because it stirred up a lot of memories. Some people hadn't been out very long and that was their first time back to Gatesville since they've been released. And it is not, you talk about sick stomach and nerves and sweating. Um, it does. It's a very, very tangible um, reaction feeling in your body. So I, I really love the healing circle and to be able to do something that felt restorative and not just, you know, anger is a per- has a purpose, right? Anger is to, it's a response to injustice, um, but to be able to do stuff that feels that heals that, um, I thought was great. What did you think of it? I thought it was beautiful. First of all, we had a really great turnout. Uh, There were lots of ladies that had done a significant amount of time and also people that had not done time at all um, that were just there supporting us. And I thought that that was a really beautiful thing. Uh, It was a really freeing feeling to be walking down the streets of a town that we came in on a prison bus shackled. It was, it was really, I think it should be an annual thing. I told you this. I I think we should do it again next year. I think more people could get so much from that. Yeah, for sure. We should make it an annual uh, event you know, and we should, you know, just thinking broader, like maybe having something like that in Huntsville would be powerful too. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't have to just be, I think for Lioness being a, a organization that serves girls and women, uh, it was important to be in Gatesville, but certainly being able to, to do that in Huntsville or even Dayton um, is another prison town. I think that would be really important. Marcy, 
as our updates, I do want to give an update because <laughs> I think that it's important. It happened today and it was a woman. And I think that's important always in our conversations was that um, Caitlin, oh, Caitlin tried to escape from custody today. Uh, that was in the news. That was in the Austin news today. Uh, she has a pretty high profile case, which um, you can look that up on your own. I, I don't like to really get into details about offenses, uh, especially when she's pending trial and stuff, but a uh, pretty high profile case. And we say this a lot that women don't very rarely do we resist, try to escape, try to, to do anything that you see um, uh, mainly men doing. And uh, yeah, she wasn't gone long. She was gone about 10 minutes. They were chasing her. Um, you know, she got loose during a medical appointment outside of the Travis County jail. So I just wanted to touch base a little. Um, yeah. What, what do you think? What do you think about that? I was nervous. It was TDCJ and I was like, Oh Lord, we talk so much to them about how the women don't do stuff like that. But yeah, I think that she probably just, I don't know, even, even in my best moments, best mental health stages in my incarceration, Tunchi, I thought about how I could get out. I mean, there were, that's something that's kind of common. And I feel like with her case, it was a moment of opportunity. It wasn't some planned strategic weapons hurting people to get out. I think that she felt, smelled that fresh air. And that was that. It was an instance of her just thinking, this is it. I can go. Yeah. It, impulsively, right? Like not having an impulse control, which kind of looking at what um, she's charged with, she seems very impulsive, right? Um, so just doing that. I think that what always kept us from doing that is like, you get another charge for that, which they always told us. I don't know how true, but um, you know, you could get up to 15 years for an escape. And so she was a flight risk, right? She left the country <laughs> and then they had to go to another country. Now she did this. Uh, she's probably going to be in protective custody if she ends up going to TDCJ. That was my first thought. Like, boy, man, you just made, you made stuff real hard on yourself for an impulsive uh, decision like that. That's exactly right. She'll probably end up in protective custody for a time and then work her way up to G4 or medium custody, but she won't make it out of medium custody because she has that escape now on her, right. on her label. She's not, she's going to be in that medium custody. She's not going to have the most easiest prison experience. You know, prison is not easy, but there are levels of right. hardness and she's yeah. going to be yeah. down there at the rough spot. So, yeah, well, gosh, <laughs> it was pretty shocking. I, I was, I was, you know, I was so nervous. It was somebody that we knew from Gatesville that was on medical yes. transportation. And I was like, Oh my God, please yes. don't. Um, but you know, I, I, I hope that things go fairly for her. Um, just you're right. Like people don't realize if you have a escape charge, you're going to stay in cell block. I mean, at least that was for us. I don't know if they do the same things for, for the guys or if that was just a agency policy that, you know, you stay in a more restrictive custody because you have um, an escape history. 
And if you're looking at a significant amount of time, what that means for you is certain jobs you're not going to be able to hold uh, and that kind of thing. And that does affect your quality of life because guys, even when you're incarcerated, you still have life to live inside of those gates, inside of those prison gates, life still goes on. And that's really negatively affects your quality of life being restricted that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's a good segue into our topic. (laughs) Well, yeah, because she probably will be in protective custody starting out her time, which in Texas, protective custody is the same as solitary confinement. Or I think, are are we calling it, let's see, when I was incarcerated, Texas called it administrative segregation. Is that what it's still called? Yeah. uh, Yes. Uh, I know in county jails, it can be called different things. Um, for me, when I was in Fort Bend County Jail, they called it at the time separation, which felt very, I don't know, Marcy, I would have preferred ad seg, right? But this separation, it, it sounded like we were in a sci-fi movie and like they meant it. Like I had zero contact with other human beings. It was such a weird, and I'd been to prison before, so I knew what ad seg was like. This was so weird. Um, and in youth facilities, they call it, um, they call it something else. They don't call it ed seg, but yeah, I, I think TDCJ, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice doesn't use the word solitary confinement because that is actually, um, they're not supposed to do that. Right. So they, they call it, you know, restrictive housing or administrative segregation. So much so that one of the gentlemen that lost their life this summer, her, his mother called up there and said, how was he attacked when he was in solitary confinement? And that's what she knew him to be in. He was, he was in protective custody when he, you know, and that's, that is in a single man cell. And that warden said, ma'am, we don't have solitary confinement because of the wording. He was able to say, we don't have that. Right. And that's really confusing for people because, uh, and I don't know, I remember I was working in the library in Mountain View when they had passed something or I don't, I don't remember what the shift was of the change was, but it was to say that we don't use uh, solitary confinement. We're not going to use that wording anymore. And we're not going to use that. We're not going to use ad seg as punishment. Like, so you're not going to be punished. Like you remember, I don't know, and this might be before you got to prison, but way back in the day, like part of your major disciplinary, if you'd went in there for a case for, you know, I don't know, fighting or, well, you usually got taken a segment, but for, I don't know, some major case you got for like fraud or something serious that wasn't violent, you could get 15 days ad seg just for a major case, Marcy. So they would use that as punishment. So they said, we can't do that anymore. Y'all aren't going to do that, TDCJ. And they're like, oh, okay, like this in solitary confinement. Oh, we just use protective custody to keep people safe. Oh, we use ad, ad seg to, you know, for like gang stuff. Like these things are protective, restrictive housing, maybe somewhat based on uh, your discipline history. Like when you go to cell block, medium custody, close custody, but they were trying to fancy word this to where it sounded like they weren't using solitary confinement anymore. Like the hole, like you see in the movie, um, Shawshank Redemption, they get in trouble and they get thrown in that hole, right? Like 
some of that is true because they stopped doing that, giving that out as punishment for for major cases, but it, it they just called it something else and stopped doing that particular practice. And I remember when they stopped doing those 15s. Uh, yeah. I have had a 15. I've had okay. a 15 before and I got it for hugging someone. That's how I got my 15. And I was actually in solitary confinement for 17 days under investigation. Mm -hmm. And then I just knew when they rolled the cameras back, they were going to see, oh, that wasn't a, a sex case. That was her hugging the top of someone's <laughs> shoulders <laughs> and I would be let out. But no, instead I go and they're like, yeah, we saw the video. Guilty. Boom. And we sentence you. I got four months contact visitation restriction. I couldn't hug my family for four months. Uh, I, I got 45 days phone restriction. I couldn't call home. But I got that 15 days in SEG. And do you know during that 15, you can't have outside visits? So right. my family came to visit. We didn't know, you know, and they came and, uh, yeah, I, I, they were denied. I got a little slip of paper like two days into my, or two days after the weekend saying, Hey, your family came, but guess what? We told them how bad you are and we right. sent them away, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, people are watching on, watching us on all different platforms on Facebook, on YouTube, on LinkedIn. And we appreciate you watching everywhere and we can see your comments and we're glad to have you uh, from everywhere. Sometimes we throw in TikTok or Instagram on there, but that's like secondary. So uh, we appreciate you guys. I see some people asking in the comments, but. Yeah. You know, I, I remember, um, you know, what it felt like to be in ad seg as a kid. We, I, I can't remember what they called it. Um, and then as an adult in separation, and I, I was never in ad seg like you were for punishment um, or restrictive housing or anything, but I did work down there one time. Um, so I, so tell everybody, and Chanel just nailed it right here. Like, what was it like to be, in ADSEG and TDCJ, and then I'll tell you what it was like in county jail and in a youth prison. Yeah, I, I also, I have a few videos, if we oh, can okay, get them ahead. to play. We didn't get to test them out, but maybe we can. <laughs> maybe they'll work. We'll see. So um, I was in in solitary confinement a few times, and actually Chanel's watching, uh, and she was in, her and I were in solitary confinement at the same time, maybe more than once, uh, the unit that we were on, which was the Dr. Lane Murray unit, they use that as punishment for very minor infractions. Um, and they, um, yeah, I mean, if you just angered the officer, you could easily get handcuffed and taken. If you were suspected of something, you could right. easily get handcuffed and taken. So her and I were in there a lot. I was in there one time when I came back from another unit from the Skyview unit, which is a mental health care facility. They actually put me in solitary confinement for over two months waiting for a bed. Uh, so it, it was just, it was a 
concrete box the size of an average person's bathroom. Um, it was the, I always, when I go to look online for pictures, always the, it's painted real nice, but that's not how it is. There's graffiti. Um, I remember them, there always being a lot of like prayers, people crying out in, in the form of prayer on a wall. Um, dirty. It's not unusual to see blood or feces on the walls. Um, someone is saying on Lane Murray, it was like being in a, a wild animal. <clears throat> yeah. The outside wreck. Yeah. Sorry. The outside wreck that you can go to is like an outside dog cage. You hear people in the dorm in other cells crying out, arguing. Their only human contact is yelling through the mesh in their door. And it's not like you can just talk and have a conversation. So how my voice is just from being ill, that's how their voices are all the time. Um, I did a lot of pacing back and forth. Some video I saw today said that he started talking to himself after three days. Yeah, I think that I remember being vocal to myself just so I could hear my own voice. Mm -hmm. It was ugly. Yeah, it was ugly, Jen. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just sitting here kind of in the feelings and thoughts while you're talking about it. And I can, I can feel it. Right. Like, you know, I, I know ad seg at the units, at the adult units, right. Like, even though I wasn't, um, and somebody did, I think it was Anthony said that, that no, there is no more um, punitive seg, but like you said, they use it, <laughs> they get around that by, well, I'll just handcuff you and take you down there for investigation and people can stay, down there forever under investigation, right? Like, so they find ways to use it um, as as punishment unofficially. Um, and I do remember working down there and just, just it's, it's constant, right? Like, it's so weird. You're secluded in silence in your cell, but you have this constant drone of yelling, um, you know, with the people across the, across the hallway to the, to the side of you. Um, and so there is this level of, isolation, but weird being isolated with people. It's, it, it's very bizarre. Um, and so th there was a little bit of comfort in the sense like you and Peaches being down there together or, or you know, often somebody's girlfriend would go down there just because somebody, and, and, it, and there was a little bit of comfort, not much, but a little bit of comfort in that. And I, I remember being in separation, which very much strangely was like being in ADSEG when I was a kid in county, county detention. And so they kept me separated because I was the only girl there and it was a violent offense. So I was treated extremely different. I was locked, like you said, cement room, cement walls, the, um, the bed, Marcy, wasn't like our metal beds. It was literally a slab off the ground about this high. 
So I'm sleeping on a, a concrete slab with an extremely thin mattress. It was real cold in there. And I would be the, in there for days. I mean, I was in there for several months before my trial, but days of just sometimes they'd come let, take me to a shower. I would have to eat by myself. Finally, my attorney got them to change that. So I was literally secluded with no noise and bang, bang and boom, boom, nobody to yell. Cause these were room cell, like completely isolated from everybody. And I remember pacing, right. I still do do that in my little small space because there was comfort in that. And it's self-regulating. Right. And I, it made my mental health so much worse. And this is what we talk about with kids uh, and adults, but especially kids with mental health disorders it made me so much worse. It was so bad that we had to have a separate hearing in my trial, Marcy. I was so embarrassed. A separate mini hearing about my mental state because I was there by myself, sometimes alone. They would ship me between these two separate youth facilities. And one was a little tiny one in Russ County and then the bigger one. Well, the one in Russ County literally was just one room in the back with one person watching me. And so I would pace and I would talk to myself. I would read out loud and then I would just start to talk to myself. This lady went to the judge and said that I was talking in two different voices like I had split personality. And I was like, oh my God, I was so embarrassed. Um, and my, they took me to the psychiatrist and they were like, are you schizophrenic? And I'm like, like no, I just, I, I needed to be able to, talk to somebody. So I talk to myself. Like it, it really, when, when the news says that people in, in seclusion and ad seg start to lose their mind, I think people can kind of understand that when you start talking about what happened to everybody during COVID and they were trapped in their house with their TVs and their electronics and, the, and other people sometimes, but that sense of isolation and emptiness will literally drive you out of your mind. Well, I have, um, I just, I don't know the, the statistics. I don't know the actual studies. I know my experience, uh, a little over 10 years and I know nine, I know 11 people that took their own lives while I was incarcerated Two correctional officers and nine people that were incarcerated prisons are harmful for everybody. I think, uh, for everyone's mental health, everyone involved correction staff and incarcerated people alike, but nine, nine people and 100% of them were in solitary confinement when they took yes. their own life. The ones I remember and know by name, it was all in a cell where they were separated alone in seg. Yeah, I, um, well, I have this video. Let's see if we can play it. And this is my friend Khalil Ray Jr. And it's a little portion of his interview. It's a short portion. And he talks about his time. Let's give it a whirl. <laughs> I can't promise. Whirl. I can't promise we didn't test it out. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So far, it's not looking good. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Why did not it not looking, want to play the volume? It's not looking good for us. No, it's not. Well, it, it, it's not going to. 
Well, we can post it to the YouTube channel. Yes, um, I'll do that. For people to see. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. But he's just talking about, he, he makes the comparison of if you take a stick and you just start bending it and bending it and bending it, he said that's how he felt like he was the stick while he was doing his time in solitary confinement. Like he just was at that moment where he could break at any given time. It, it was just going to be too much. He just felt like his mental health was right there teetering on the edge the entire time. And this is a very intelligent young man, college educated, uh, you know, a, in his, a higher grad student right now, um, very smart young man. And it, it just, he talks about how it just almost broke him. And I think that was a good comparison you made about COVID because what we do know is uh, suicide rates went up that being isolated um, in our communities from our communities had very much had a negative health, mental health impact on, on us as a society. So I think that people are starting to get a, an idea Right. Cause it's, you know, we're, we can do a lot of things individually. Right. But we are, you know, designed however you believe we're designed, but we are wired for social connection. Um, that's why we like reality TV. That's why we like stories. That's why social, social justice movements are always inspired and powered by narrative and story, whereas storytelling, and I read a fascinating book about human history that said the reason why our particular species of, of human, um, that's if y'all get mad at me about science, I'm, I'm sorry, but you can read the book. <laughs> but uh, it says that the reason why we survived is because we are phenomenal storytellers, right? Like we know how to have a tribe, a, a society, and we share story and connection and health. And there's something deeply healing and connective about that. And, you know, the word penitentiary comes from penance, right? Like to be thoughtful to, Hey, let's calm down and sit over here and think about what you did. Well, I mean, that's a very simplistic kind of almost naive way of understanding violence and, uh, you know, stuff. I mean, sometimes you can sit for a moment and say, well, should I have done that? No, it wasn't a good idea. Oh, well, yeah, if you're healthy, but you know, when you separated me as a kid, all I knew was, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I don't know now I'm being put in this little cement room to sleep on the floor. I don't like it just spirals from there. Um, so, you know, being trapped in a room by yourself, you will literally lose your mind. Um, you know, it affects your physical health. I remember um, reading something about, you know, the Memphis, the Memphis three, uh, incredible case. Um, they finally got out falsely accused, but the one that was on death row, he had to have glasses when he got like his vision was completely jacked because he never saw past those four walls. It affected his vision. Like it's just, it's so harmful. It's so hurtful. Um, separating people from other human beings is not the way to heal them. 
I remember when I first got to um, Lane Murray, like the main prison where I did my time, and they had the building. It was the it was J two is what the building was called, and it's where they had the single man solitary confinement cells, which I didn't even know existed. I had no clue. So I lived in a dorm, um, F dorm. So shout out all my girls that are in F dorm right now. But that dorm was directly across from the solitary confinement dorm. And when we would walk up and down the streets, they had just recently opened the windows. So they had been previously nailed closed. But somebody came through and said no because of the heat or it was, you know, they wanted airflow. So they opened those windows and there were bars. So now I can I can just picture the very sun-deprived faces, their crackly voices from having to yell everything when they're communicating with one another, the little communication that they can get um, and just them hanging out the window and asking, like they would want to know what's for chow. Like we'd be coming back from breakfast and they'd all be hanging out the window. What's for chow? What's for chow? You know, that, that was like the most important thing to them. Um, And Anyways, around that time in the Rolling Stones magazine, they did um, an article on the negative effects of solitary confinement on one's mental health. And that article said that your mental health starts to deteriorate at three days and at, and at little at, as 15 days, you probably need to seek counsel to help yourself get better from just the negative effects of two weeks inside. And I remember laying in my bunk, reading that article and thinking, oh my gosh, there were people that had been housed for years and years. Uh, And then, then I hugged somebody and went for the first time. And I go to solitary confinement and you walk by, there's these little cards on the outside of the door. And those cards have the date that they got put in, in J2, in solitary confinement. And there were dates that were 10 years old, people that their mental health didn't allow them to safely be in general population. And the only answer, I just feel like the answer for mental health illnesses in our society that our society deems acceptable is to lock people in prison. And then for people in prison that still have even further trouble with mental health issues, they just lock them in a deeper prison. It's like we're just throwing these people away. Uh, I just, I remembered how sad that made me. And then I get out of prison and I know, now I know that we have, especially men, that maybe are affiliated with an organization and that they end up incarcerated for not 10 years, but 20 plus years in solitary confinement because of a affiliation, because of a gang tattoo that they got when they were 17 or some craziness. It just blows Mm -hmm. my mind. Yeah. You know, uh, as, uh, as you're talking, I was reading, um, I think it's Denise, sorry, I put my glasses back on. Um, I think it's Denise's comment there. And I think maybe some of this also speaks to a societal thing of um, isolation, right? Like 
you know, my friend works at a nursing home and I know people that are not elderly that feel very isolated in their community and either don't know how to socialize or try and it just doesn't work. And it, and it seems like our, our society has a habit of throwing all kinds of people away, right? Like, you know, when you get older, well, going home or I, oh my God, Marcy, I was reading through some of my old letters from my great grandmother, who was very, very special to me. Her and my brother are the only reasons I believe that love is actually real and not just this like percentage of how much you care about me. They totally loved me without any hesitation. Um, shout out to my brother. Uh, but I was reading through her old letters and she was very homebound, right? Like she was, uh, very old. My, my great grandmother was like 90, 95. And, um, she couldn't leave and living out in rural East Texas, didn't have any visitors unless they come over, you know, people make sure she had groceries once every two weeks or so, but it was just her. Uh, and when me and my mother, um, were no longer able to come over there, uh, you know, I was locked up, right? Like there was no one for her out of all her kids, all of her grandkids, nobody came over And her letters to me helped her just as much as they helped me. And I don't think I realized at a time because I was young, you know, I was like 21 uh, getting letters from my great grandma, you know, um, but going back as an adult and reading them, my God, like she, I could hear the isolation. Um, and she was so sweet and, you know, trying to encourage me and keep me in, encouraged. And it just, I could hear the loneliness um, and what that did to her. And so I think it's like, well, if it's, if society can do this to older people that have never um, committed a crime, right. Or been convicted or caught, <laughs> but cause I think she did some running some hooch back in the old twenties. <laughs> I think she did, but um, you know, if they can, if we can do that to older people, I mean, certainly people don't care that this is happening to people they deem as evil or bad. Um, we do it to each other now. I've never talked to my neighbors. I've never seen them. And so what happens? We become more isolated and it feeds on itself. Like you said, it, it begins to, to nurture that sense of isolation um, that we, we lose the ability to be social and make connections because I have to try. Marcy, I have to really, really put an effort in. And afterwards, I feel very, very drained. I, I don't know about you. I know your personality is so, so much more outgoing and bubbly than mine. But I wonder the, the ways that being so isolated, does that, do you have to work at it to be social? Or do you feel drained like your battery is empty? I feel not that way interacting with people. Um, I think that it comes pretty naturally to me, but I, I wonder if some of that is because of your isolation as a youth in youth prisons like that, you know, you were, you were 15 and 16 and 17 locked up and I was in high school playing high school sports and going to football games with, you know, I, I just can't think that that doesn't have an effect on that. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, I mean, I remember, you know, being housed like that and separations just endless. Right. But then when I moved to a facility where we are in a dorm, but we're in single cells, 
I would still lock myself in because of the abuse, right? Like I still, uh, I retreated into like some self form of solitary, um, to, to keep from being hurt. And, you know, it's interesting too. Like I like small spaces and people are like, girl, you, you've been in my place. Like there ain't no room here for nothing. And I'm like, the smaller I can be enclosed, the safer I feel. So, I mean, that may be part of it. I learned, I, I wrote an article for the guardian when um, COVID happened about how I had made peace with being able to have the walls close in on me, right? Like I turned the walls into something else. So maybe it became a self-soothing thing. I don't know. Um, you know, I was thinking that in when I am alone, like for example, um, you know, I'm I'm here, my grandmother is here, Brittany's here. Well, Brittany was working out of state and my grandmother went to visit her sister for a couple weeks. I I was here alone and I I did very well with it. <laughs> like I'm not one to get stir crazy if I don't leave the house. Um, you know, so I think that some of that, you know, prison kind of conditioned me in a way. But I think that it just was so much more for you having gone in so young. Um, yeah. I, and you spent a lot more time, I think, in solitary confinement than I did. Yeah. You know, and I was very much isolated when my trial was happening. Like, I, I can't imagine, and I'm sure it still happens to some extent, but, you know, back in the day, Marcy, here's this intense very intense. I told you a little of it. Um, thing that is happening for me and my family and my community. And it's like, I would leave that isolated cell, go to trial. And my trial lasted about a week, almost two, well, almost two weeks. And then leave there and go right back to that isolated cell. And then, and that's it, right? Like I didn't have friends. I, we, I wasn't allowed visits because the trial was going on and visits were only 30 minutes um, twice a week anyway. Uh, and my dad lived a little further cause they were housing me somewhere else. And so this is this deeply horrifying, traumatic, uh, trial and no, no type of intervention to walk me through that. Just me in a cell cement room with a mattress on the floor. Um, and you know, bless my brother's heart. Sometimes he says, you, I don't know how, I don't know how you've made it this far and you're intelligent and capable of, of coping. And well, <laughs> I mean, I've struggled a lot, but sometimes I do think about like those quiet things that happen in your mind in those isolated moments, um, especially during trauma and, and it, 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 I've told legislators, I know what it's like to lose my mind. I don't know if you can really wrap your mind around it, but it is horrifying. And some people lose it, Marcy, and you know, we know them, we heard their screams, we, they lose their mind and they never recover it. Well, when you were talking about the bed that was just kind of this little raised space on the concrete and not even a bed, not even a, a completely raised, but just inches raised high off of the floor. So you're sleeping on the floor. 
um, that's how they are in at the crisis management center in at Mountain View. Mm -hmm. And that's where you go. If they think that you are an immediate threat to yourself, um, they're going to send you there. And I've been um, for weeks at a time, two times. And that, that was, that was so much like everybody that's there is in crisis, mental health crisis. People are crying out literally. Um, you're, you don't have clothes. That's part of it. You don't even have your clothes. Um, but I remember thinking if I didn't want to end my life before I came in here, like this, this, this makes me want to this, this, if I didn't feel like I was worth living before I got in this cell, placed in this cell, this has done it for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. It, it's harder. It's harder to hear those voices in your mind when you're surrounded by other people, you know, like when I lived in the dorm and this is why we would fight so hard not to, to live, you know, to get moved out of our dorms because we form very much like families, even if we can't stand each other, it's still comforting to have that. Um, because it, for me really would kind of keep those voices quieter, but you put me in a cell by myself and then it, you know, days and days on end, um, those voices, you know, if you're a spiritual person, you know, it, it, you can, you can say it's that demonic voice that's trying to seduce you to harm yourself or others, or, or maybe it's that and mental health thoughts, uh, that are spiraling. I don't, I don't know. Um, it felt like both for me. And I just want to say this real quick, because I'm thinking it, how both of us just <laughs> really got into this discussion in a really emotional way. I feel like probably even more so than some of the other stuff we talked about. I, I was a little nervous, like, well, I mean, I don't know what to really talk about that experience. And then we, we found the heart of it. And I just want to say this, that for anybody that judges us coming on social media and sharing the experiences that we've had as women, as girls, um, as people that have struggled with really deep mental health. Um, I feel very sad for that because it takes a deep level of courage and vulnerability uh, to talk about this stuff, right? Because I can promise you Marcy's sweating and her heart's bound in the same way mine is. And we don't do this for our personal glory or gratification. We do this because in our day and day and age, social media is a powerful tool um, to educate great masses of people. And it is for community when it's used right, right? I look forward to every single person that's in the comments tonight, even the ones that say stuff sometimes that I don't particularly agree with, or maybe we debate. It is a community. Uh, the same way my advocacy groups are, right? The same way my group of friends are. It doesn't mean we're all perfect. We all do really fucked up stuff sometimes because we're all not well. Um, but it takes an extreme amount of courage to be vulnerable 
in spaces like this. Sometimes it's twerking in the day room. Hell yeah. Let's talk about the, the unique things that we do as women that can be just interesting and cool to learn about. But our core, our core mission here is to rip ourselves open so that the people that are afraid to be vulnerable or don't know how to be, um, that can't withstand some of the nasty attacks that, that people online do. Um, I'm just, I just want to tell you, Marcy, I'm proud of, of both of our ability to do that. Cause it's tough. Tonight's discussion makes me know how tough it is to be vulnerable so that other people can maybe vote for the right people, change things in our government, in our communities, um, that will be more healing and restorative. Uh, and change the things that are happening inside of our criminal justice system. So I don't know. I was just feeling that right now as as we were talking. Well, thank you for that. I couldn't agree more. I, uh, for sure, heart pounding, for sure, uh, needing to slow my cadence because I feel myself getting emotional. It's an emotional thing that we're talking about. Um, and, and, Everything, all our prison experience as a whole, even the good memories, because we we talk about that. There are good memories because of the people, the people that we encountered. Some really, really beautiful souls in prison. Um, but it it isn't always easy, and we do, and we do have to put up with negative feedback. That's part of it. Right. Uh, we do have to just force through that. I want to, um, <clears throat> and excuse me, cause I'm still not feeling very well. So I know that my, my thought process is, I, I know my thoughts are slow. So I apologize for that guys, but I want to talk about just the, we talked a lot about the emotional aspect of what it is to be locked in solitary confinement. Can we go through the, like the, the day, a day in a life of like, how does it work? Um, I, we, I want to talk about how you get fed. I want to talk about, uh, how you get escorted to a shower if you get a shower. And I want to talk about if you get in an argument with law enforcement and they end up blacklisting you, what happens, you know? Yeah, I mean, this is, an, I was thinking too, what did we miss? And it's the day in the life of, right? Um, because y'all, time is a concept. It's just a, a social construct because time is different um, when you're locked in that room by yourself. What is an hour here is a whole day. What is two minutes, like you you figure out how to make, like, you have routines. I always came up with routines to keep my mind sane. And you, you're you spacing those out to be like, well, this will take up this amount of time, right? Like I'm measuring um, the lights coming on because you also don't know what time it is. And if you want to know what will send someone out of their mind, girl, I remember being in a seclusion cell. They would not turn the lights off at all. And they're the, the very bright bulb lights. What do you call them? Fluorescent lights. Um, and they wouldn't turn them off. So I had no clue. Like at least when they turned the lights off, I knew, okay, it's probably around 10 o'clock, nine. And I remember, I remember clawing my face just until it bled. 
because I, I felt crazy um, because I didn't know what time it was. There is something about light. There is something about time um, that will escalate you. So it's different in there. Yeah, that that is so true. Like I remember measuring w- what time of day it is like, okay, I'll survive this day if at, because on Lane Murray, they would serve breakfast during 3.30 a.m. count. So about 3.45 in the morning, you get breakfast. <clears throat> and I also just want to say that I don't think that they do this anymore, but when I was serving my 15 to get fed chow, to get fed, it's a slot in your door. So it's like any of those big metal doors that maybe you've seen on a TikTok video or on the internet. Um, and it's got a metal tray slot that opens up. They have a special metal tool that opens up the tray slot. So one officer opens up the slot and the next one comes by and puts the tray in and closes it. So, but when you were, when I was serving that 15 to get fed, you had to, first of all, you didn't have your clothes. You only had your gown. Mm -hmm. So you're in a gown. You had to get at the back of your cell, kneel on the ground and face the wall. So when they yelled chow, you would have to get in that position. And that felt so demeaning. I mean, it was almost worth not eating. Um, In fact, I don't think that I took the first several meals because I was like, I'm not free. I'm not doing that for these people. Like I'm not getting on my knees and facing the back of my, like I was in there for, for biting the face off of an officer. I was, you know, I was in there for hugging the top of a girl's shoulders. I'm not, you know, anyway. So, but I remember that like the timing. So you know you're getting fed then, and then at six o'clock the officers come around for um, the people that are housed there. If you're just there under investigation, or if you're there because you're mishoused, or if you're there for some other reason, you're not getting to go to wreck and all of that. But if you but if you were housed, they would come by and do that list at six a.m. Well, you hear that, so I'm, you'd be like, okay, now it's six a.m., so I have four hours until lunch. Like this is how your mind works. Like, um, and so I definitely remember that time. The worst time was from dinner because they fed dinner at that 3.30 count again. Mm-hmm. So 3.30 p.m., 3.45 p.m., you're eating dinner. And after that, you have that whole long night until mail call, <laughs> you know. And if you got mail, you were lucky. And if you didn't, it was even worse because you heard the officer go from door to door to door to door and you're just hoping and praying you have even a church letter, something, you know, something. And if you didn't, that was, that was a wrap, man. And the, and the lights were still on. (laughs) So it was really hard to go to sleep. You couldn't just go to sleep during that time. Yeah. It's, it's a bizarre, it, it is a bizarre experience to be just, in another, I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy out here. It's like, Oh, life just doesn't slow down. And I've had meetings and this and this and this. And then a person that's sitting in seg somewhere is struggling to get through 30 minutes at a time. 
you know, like coming up with stuff to do, like I'm going to memorize the Bible <laughs> and they do. I'm going to yeah. feed the little ant that lives in this crack. I had a little, little ants that used to come through the crack um, in my, in my cell that I would save crumbs for and sit there and watch and play with them. Um, I mean, it, you, you do learn this strange sense of, of connection with anything, right? Like it's, it's strange. There, there were things that I can uh, appreciate about some of those moments, um, but certainly they were not restorative or healing my mental health for sure. That's when I hear the stories of the kids that were trapped in their rooms all summer, um, not getting out because so because solitary cells in a lot of youth prisons because they're so old they don't have what's called wet cells they don't have sinks and toilets so then you're waiting for the staff member um to come let you out to go to the bathroom and the kids were peeing in bottles and uh their trays and and or on the floor because nobody had come to let them out which is insane marcy if somebody did that to a dog there would be a, a, a people marching on the capitol um, but, but that's happening to children and it's like, mm, mm, oh, well, they did something. They're bad kids. They broke the rule. They, I mean, people they would do, they didn't go to school, right? They were caught vaping because there's a now law that says that they can, um, get arrested for vaping, you know, but even if it was a bad dog, a dog that was, let I me mean, not say bad, bad behavior, um, which is a reflection on who the dog's owner, the right? owner. <laughs> it, you mm -hmm. know, so people would still be in an uproar, but if it's children and human beings, um, we, uh, we've assigned meaning to their existence based on some behavior that was mental health induced, but yeah. Well, I see Damon. Uh, hey, Damien. Uh, yes, I was feeding ants. <laughs> A lot of the girls do get, get, um, little mice, uh, and keep them in their cells. Spiders. Oh Yeah. Well, when they opened up the windows in solitary confinements, man, we, we had a lot of pigeons on our unit and we were feeding pigeons out that, out our windows. And there were lots that had trained pigeons to go in and out of their cell. But I mean, if you're in there for a long time, that's companionship. It is. And, so. and can anybody blame somebody for making up another personality to, to talk to? I mean, you'll, I, I mean, this just happens. Yeah. Like the, the, the human mind can only, it, it will find a way to survive. Um, I talked about my personality disorder yesterday and it's like, well, yeah, it, my mind developed in a way that could deal with the stuff that was happening in my home as a child. And then a lot of that served me well when I went to prison because I mean, I was already primed and ready for trauma and then, of course, what did it do? It just cemented um, that mental health problem. Well, we're coming up on our hour, Toonch. Do we have any final thoughts about solitary confinement, uh, except for just to reiterate our firm beliefs against it? I don't think if anyone is not an immediate danger to themselves or others, and I mean immediate, I don't mean, I don't mean three weeks later. I mean, immediate danger. I don't think there's reason for it or cause for it. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of our whole thing about carceral settings anyway, is that, you know, there are times that people need to be somewhere safe um, for themselves and for others. Uh, but anything that is dehumanizing 
it's not going to help heal that. So <laughs> we need to rethink just the way, um, you know, how we treat mental illness, because that's a lot of what it is. And then the ways that the state agency and the state uses that to punish, even though they say they're not, they're not. If you put an aggressive dog in a kennel and just leave it in the kennel without ever giving it any interaction, it's not going to become less aggressive. Like that's it, that method does, it doesn't work. It's just literally a way we just kind of, we just throw people, throw people away. Yeah, we really do. We need help. We need this whole society yes. needs help. Thank you, Audrey Lee. Um, well, somewhere I believe in parallel universes, um, I met you and none of this happened and you took care of me. And, and so <laughs> there's, uh, there's multitudes of universes and reality. So I take comfort that things turned out differently for me and Marcy and all of us. Um, and we could have a whole episode on quantum physics one day. <laughs> <laughs> Tunchi, that's for a different podcast, okay. Tunchi. Okay. <laughs> what, what are we going to talk about next week, Tunchi? Well, golly, let's see. Um, Marcy, I have, Q to, a. I have to, Q&A is good for me. I, I always love Q&A &A, Q with everybody. You know, <laughs> I, sometimes I almost say T&A, and I think that's something different. <laughs> Um, that's a whole, that's again, a different podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to look to make sure I'm not traveling that day, but I, I think that I think I am, but I will be at the hotel at seven. I hope the Wi-Fi is good, but no, it's, we're still good to go for that. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. So, um, yeah, Q and a, uh, Let's do it. Let's let's both of us do some homework and pull some um, our heavy hitter questions on social media, and we'll bring those to the board. And you guys that are tuning in, come with your questions. Um, you guys that are part of our live community that we see often, we appreciate y'all. We know y'all are going to show up big time. Mm -hmm. Be thinking about anything that you want to know about. It's wide open. And if you are listening to this episode um, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts uh, or op Apple Music, wherever you hear your podcasts, Tunchi, can't they ask a question on there? They can. So if they go through Spotify for podcasters, if you use that, um, it's the link that Marcy has on everything for our podcast. That page will allow you to register. It's for free. Uh, and you can leave a voice memo and we can play it here and answer it like all the real bougie podcasters, um, like Sarah Silverman and stuff. She always has the voice memos that she answers. It's bit, now, it's very professional and we'll have to, to, to figure it out, but we'll do it. Yeah, I think we can figure it out. So you can leave your question there or you can email us, y'all. Our, we're all over social media. Wherever you find us, you can get a hold of us with your questions and we'll try to bring it up on the show. And final, the final thought is, speaking of TNA, <laughs> Audra Lee said her daughter Ta Taylor married her hubby Andrew and they had TNA all over the invites because they didn't know any better. I love that. That's awesome. That's all. And I love your daughter's name. That's it's, it's a name of beauty right there. Royalty. It, 
it's an epic name. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're watching live, please do like, comment, all the good things. And when this live ends in just a moment, please hit that share button. That helps our outreach. We appreciate you guys so much. You truly are our family. We look forward to visiting with you every Wednesday. And we will be back next week for Q&A. Thank y'all for hanging out with us on the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast with Marcy Marie and Tinti. Make sure and subscribe to our channels so you'll never miss a rec night.